Tame Impala there. Instant destiny. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Joined by political activist and political commentator Neil Farrow. Neil, welcome to the show. Great to be on the show. How are you going? I'm great. Very warm in Melbourne today. Um, you're going to be in Chili Dales for next Friday, though, on stage as part of Chill Out with Dennis Altman. So, look, it's um, a really exciting part of the Chill Out Festival um, in an in conversation with Dennis Altman. So, for those of you who may not know, Dennis Altman is a long-standing LGBTI activist uh, from way back, uh, very heavily involved in sort of the gay liberation movement in Australia and the US and more generally. And we're doing a bit of a in-conversation at the Dalesford Convent. So it will be a bit of a, a nice way to hear about his latest two books. So one of them was The Accidental Activist, which is a little bit of a, a life story and some of his reflections in decades of sort of gay liberation and gay activism. Um, and his most recent book, which I find really interesting given that Dennis and I are both Republicans, is called God Save the Queen, um, which is all about sort of the history of monarchies and, and what monarchies do around the world and the benefits and advantages of monarchies. So, yeah, absolutely um, thrilled to be sitting down with Dennis for, for an hour or so and, and having a, an intimate conversation as part of the Chill Out Festival next Friday evening. And, of course, he wrote The Homosexuals, that groundbreaking book in the early 1970s. And it's interesting because the ABC this week uh, ran a news report on, on Twitter of uh, the court scenes or outside the court after people were arrested and charged uh, following the first Sydney Mardi Gras in 1978. And um, they interviewed Dennis. So he goes way back. He does indeed. And look, um, one of Australia's sort of best-known gay political activists um, threw back into the 70s. And and look, we are coming up to a number of milestones. Obviously, um, I'm involved with um, Thorn Harbour Health, and and they're approaching their 40th birthday next year as well. So one of the oldest community activist organisations in Australia. But we are really at the stage where you know, we're celebrating and reflecting and renewing what has been some amazing activists over our time. And so it would be really great to sit down as part of Chill Out and and have a bit of a conversation and reflection of um, all things politics and activism and um, all things monarchy and republicanism as well. Of course, with success comes jealousy, and there's lots of people that aren't particularly happy about LGBTIQ rights advancing. We are approaching election season, a federal election and a state election. What can the community do to avoid being wedged? Uh, Will be targets, I'm sure. Look, I think we absolutely saw this wedging of the community kick off most recently in relation to um, the religious freedom, religious discrimination laws that were put through federally. So paraphrasing for those listeners who may not know the entire story. So there was a a religious freedom bill that was put forward um, by the the Liberal Party federally, um, and the Labor Party, along with the crossbenchers, secured a number of amendments which effectively meant that um, trans kids would be protected at school and gay kids, gay and lesbian kids would be protected at school, as would teachers as well. And um, because sort of the the crossbench Labor um, were successful in this motion, the Liberal Party then pulled the bill. So um, in going to the Senate, it, it never hit the Senate floor. And I think that's a perfect example of sort of the wedge politics that we're likely to see on a number of issues going into the election where, you know, I particularly think the Conservative Party and the Liberal National Party federally is looking at how they can wedge Labor, how they can try and, you know, argue that Labor is going to be in a coalition with the Greens and scare off sort of centrist voters by that. And and so we have seen the start of a lot of wedge politics. And I think it's just really important for everybody to realise that, you know, politics and democracy is the art of the possible and the art of compromise. And, and nothing's ever perfect. But 
we really need to stick together as a community and make sure that we aren't wedged on these issues going into the election. And I think the the flip side of that and, and what we can do as a community in the LGBTI space is just not allow ourselves to become divided and fighting between the communities, whether that's, you know, the L, the G, the B, the T, the I or the Q, um, but effectively say, you know, if we've got internal differences, and of course we have them, but let's kind of keep a lid on them until after the election because any differences we have within the community will be amplified and used against us and and potentially to have long-term consequences for the LGBTI community depending on what happens with the federal election. What do you make of where the Labor Party landed federally on the religious discrimination bill? I mean, they back the statement of belief clause. Uh, they back the provision that would enable uh, state anti-discrimination law to be overridden. They've kind of wedged themselves, don't you think? What do you make of, of, of where they've landed and what are people in the party telling you as an insider? most interesting thing. So when I first heard, and obviously, you know, listeners and, and everybody knows that I've ran for Labor for a couple of times here in Victoria, and and when I first heard what Labor's position was, I was quite um, shocked is probably part of it. I did touch base with a number of federal colleagues, um, both LGBTI identifying and straight allies, and, and I said, look, are you sure you know what you're doing here? Like, are you sure this is the right thing to do? And and they said, yes, just just trust us. So these are sort of um, big um, big players in our in our LGBTI movement in politics. Just just trust us. We're going to navigate this through, and we're going to get the outcome where you know we will protect trans and, and LGBTI people at school. We will protect trans and LGBTI teachers. You know. Just assume that we're we're going to get up there, and and I was worried. I, I won't lie. For sort of the day or two after the position and before the vote, I was exceptionally worried. But you know, if you look at the outcome, we've actually achieved the outcome that we wanted. So you know, the religious discrimination bill has been shelved. Um, there's a commitment by Labor to introduce protections should they win the next government for gay, gay and trans or LGBTI um, students and teachers. So at the moment. Under a variety of laws, um, gay students and teachers can legally be expelled or removed or terminated from schools. And so Labor's taken into the election a commitment that, you know, they're going to rectify this law already. So, look, I won't lie, I was a bit worried, as I said, um, but I, I was told to have faith along with our sort of LGBTI parliamentarians and caucus. And, you know, we landed on what I think was a great outcome. The bill died um, and Labor's made a commitment for protection should they win government federally. But... Yeah, a, a little bit on the edge for a couple of days there, James. Can you tell us who some of those big names in the Labor Party were that gave you those assurances? Oh, look, there's a, there's quite a few LGBTI um, members and senators now across the Labor Party federally and, and quite a few LGBTIQ staffers as well. And, um, you know, we're in regular conversations over these sorts of things. And, um, yeah, so, you know, these are people I've, I've known for a great many years and um, it's good to see more and more of them in the caucus. And, and obviously we get a bit, we're getting better outcomes with more LGBTI people in caucus. So some senior Labor federal politicians gave you assurances. Yeah. So look, we we we've had lots of discussions over this, and um, it was just keen to, you know, I expressed my concerns, and and they assured me that you know we're trying to do the right thing, and we'll do the right thing for the rainbow community, and um, you know, effectively we landed there in the end. So um, I, I'm I was worried, but pleased with where we've landed. So, Neil, does that mean if the bill does come back and if it does go to the Senate, uh, that Labor will vote it down in the Senate? Look, I think the there's a practical issue now of I don't think there's actually enough sitting days now to bring the bill back before um, this parliament is over. So the bill will probably lapse um, and, you know, 
it, it will lay and, and that's where it will end. And obviously when Parliament's prorogued and a new parliamentary term commences, um, all bills that lapse are kind of left on the edges. And Labor has made a commitment to introduce those protections for LGBTI um, uh, students, sorry, and, and teachers, including in religious schools. So, you know, that's a, a big step forward in that regard. So, you know, with Senate not sitting... Um, I'm not sure the bill will even be presented. Um, but notwithstanding that, Labor did say that they were going to continue to make a whole heap of um, uh, improvements and suggestions should the bill come back in relation to the clauses that you raised concern over as well. Um, and they were just more confident in the Senate they, they might be able to get more of those amendments through. So if these are the ones that override state laws and, and some of the statement of belief provision. So, you know, I don't think the bill's going to pop up again before the election. Um, I think we've got a choice this election of... You know, depending on who you vote federally, whether you want those protections for, for LGBTI students and teachers, which Labor's committed to doing, or whether we're going to have to go through this battle again around religious discrimination if the Conservatives win government. So um, I'm hopeful it's the former and not the latter. I mean, it must have ruffled quite a few feathers internally, especially within the Andrews government, because uh, Labor voted in the House of Reps and, and could potentially still vote in the Senate to pass legislation, pass amendments that overrides uh, their cornerstone policies and legislative achievements for our community, which has been anti-discrimination provisions. Um, there must have been some pretty heated discussions between some state MPs here in Victoria and in other states and their federal counterparts, surely. Yeah, I actually... Look, I haven't been privy to any of the discussions between the state and federal colleagues in this space, but I do know that even some of the Liberal um, Party, of which there are five members of the Liberal Party who uh, crossed the floor to support Labor and the crossbenchers in the amendments that were successful, um, and if you have a look, even some of those members of the Liberal Party were choosing to move and support the Labor amendments and, and the crossbench um, because it was overriding state laws. And, and you know, they've got a, a philosophical belief over what the role of the state and, and the federal government is. So, you know, I think it's a mixed bag. Daniel Andrews came out pretty quickly, as did Jacqueline Symes, our Attorney-General in Victoria, and pretty much said, you know, if these laws go through unchanged, i.e. the original laws that were proposed, then Labor was going to bring uh, High Court or constitutional action to, to test the constitutionality of them. So, you know, I think we heard a, a, a fairly quick swing back from, from the Attorney-General here in Victoria and obviously the Premier. But I think a large number of state and territory premiers also pipped up as well. You know, one of the most astounding things I thought from a political perspective is, you know, Dominic Perrottet, who's, you know, perceptually uh, quite a conservative um, religious person in New South Wales, obviously the Premier up there, he came out and told Scott Morrison that, you know, this was a bad law, it wasn't needed, and he wasn't quite sure why Scott Morrison was introducing it. So, you know, it's interesting that even a, a perceived conservative religious Premier of a in a Liberal government in New South Wales was saying, Scott Morrison, like, pull your head in, we really don't need this law and it will do more harm than good. So, look, we got the outcome in the end. Um, obviously, nobody uh, likes to go through the process, but we've just got to remain eternally vigilant. And I think leading into this election, we've just got to be really careful as a community that we don't allow ourselves to be played um, for political wedge issues, really. So, you know, my only hope and aspiration in that is, um, you know, if we do have disagreements between now and the election, which are always open, but let's try and, try and keep them in-house and um, not let them spill over because we're already seeing, um, I'm not sure I'm allowed to swear on air, but um, bull S uh, coming out over the US and, you know, all of the right-wing commentators uh, speaking about, you know, if we'd spent more time worrying about sort of the war in Ukraine and less time thinking about pronouns, we would have got a better outcome and that's just rubbish. So 
you know, we've just got to make sure we're not divided between now and the end of May when we think the election will be. It's interesting. Do you think people are being a bit optimistic saying the Prime Minister won't try and bring it back before the election? I mean, Rodney Croom's worried that he will try and get it through the Senate when uh, when when the budget sitting is happening at the end of March. And considering how obsessed he is with this bill, he's, you know, kind of... It's got his fingerprints all over it. Uh, and considering his win-at-all-costs mentality, I think it's quite feasible, don't you think, that he will try again? Uh, look, he might try in the Senate, but the government doesn't have a majority by any stretch of the imagination in the Senate. Um, the crossbenchers have sort of made their view known. Um, and then the other side of it, which is now the particular challenge, is um, Scott Morrison... Uh, the bill that Scott Morrison can introduce into the Senate is the one that Labor and the crossbenchers have amended in the lower house, which would give protections to trans and gay students and teachers. Um, and the religious lobby and the Australian Christian lobby pretty much said, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but we don't want our religious protections if it means protecting trans students, which is an appalling thing to say. Um, but I just don't think, one, I don't think he's going to have enough time Two, even if he does introduce the bill, the bill he's introducing is effectively the bill that enshrines protections for trans and gay students and teachers, um, which the religious groups have said they don't want introduced. So, you know, notwithstanding the fact there's only a couple of sitting days, the uh, Liberal Party doesn't have a majority in the Senate. Um, so, you know, Rodney and I have had a great many disagreements on his time, but I think this is an example of, you know, there's a, a minuscule likelihood and, and I don't think the probability of success is anywhere near that. And I think we're just providing um, fuel to conservatives to kind of um, point out issues within the LGBTI community. I think that bill is dead this term. Um, and even if it does get through, it will be with the protections that offer trans and, and gay teachers and students um, the protections they deserve. So, you know, I have a different view on Rodney on this and I just caution making an, an election issue over something like this. I think, you know, we've won this battle. Let's try and win the war and, and get a better outcome in the next term of federal government. All right, Neil, going to have to leave it there. Always great to chat with you on 3CR. Thanks for your time, Savo. Great to chat, James. Have a lovely day. The wonderful Neil Farrow there. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James and here are the Black Sorrows. <laughs>
You're listening to 3CR. This is Billy X. Jennings of the Black Panther Party. Power to the people. I'm Helen Razor, but that's deeply irrelevant. What is relevant is that you're listening to 3CR on, what's that frequency again, dear? 855. I told you, Helen. 855. And what is relevant is that you're not listening to that other crap. So well done. told us where we stand and Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear Claude Rains was the invisible man then something went wrong for Fay Ray and King Kong they got caught in a celluloid jam then at a deadly Space, and this is how the message ran. Yeah. 
picture show in the back row. Double feature picture show. Yep, always a classic from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Science fiction double feature. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Joined on the line by Councillor Jamal Hakim uh, from the city of Melbourne. Jamal, welcome to the show. Great to have you on board. Now, you are the uh, the lead of the City of Melbourne's Creative Melbourne portfolio. Tell us what your priorities are in, in the portfolio. It's what I think it's the most exciting portfolio to be part of, which is terrific, uh, to be honest, but I would say that. Uh, we have so much happening in the City of Melbourne right now, and it is buzzing again, and so many things for people to join in. So with our, this portfolio, we're filling our city's iconic streets and mainways with music. So you would have heard about the On the Road Again program. That's in partnership with the Victorian government. Uh, so you'll see things across the city come down. There's buskers across the city and professional musicians with live music across our city. It's one of our programs coming through uh, the summer and through autumn. And of course, you know, we're catering to bookworms, young and old. Uh, we've got three new pop-up libraries across the city. There's still more to come as well. We're also building the Monroe Library uh, out in uh, near Korean Big Market. So there's lots of ways to get involved in that. Um, we're looking at the laneways too, of course, music in our laneways. We're also looking at art in our laneways. So the eight laneways have been uh, up. They've got new public attractions as part of them. That's part of the Flash Forward initiative. And there's still two more to come, but you can find out so much about that program. There's a map so you can spend the day in the city walking through those new laneways. Uh, so that's really exciting. Um, and of course, we have quadrupled funding for the latest travel arts program. So, so many quick response arts grants given out. There's so many high-quality applications came through. It's creating not just employment opportunities for around 800 creative professionals. It's going to create so many exciting and interesting things that are happening in the city. And this is just what we're doing at the City of Melbourne. We've obviously partnered with uh, so many other festivals and what's happening within the city. There's Fashion Festival on right now, and Melbourne Food and Wine Festival coming up, Moomba next week. Uh, launches, so that's going to be really fun. It's coming back in its full glory. Uh, and so much more, you know, a Little Jagged Pill at the theatre uh, and uh, so many other things that are happening in uh, the theatre as well. So, so really, really excited about what's coming in. It's so going to be a year filled to the brim with things to do. It is very exciting. So what, what led you to the creative portfolio? Tell us a bit about yourself that attracted you to that area. Thank you. And, you know, I am uh, I guess I've got so many things, different things that I'm quite interested in and uh, when I ran for council. Uh, and one of them is community. And uh, I'm quite interested in inclusion as well. It's one of the areas that I was really uh, interested in uh, ensuring that uh, local government, how do we bring in uh, cultural safety? How do we ensure safety for everyone is here at the city of Melbourne in, in my own uh, town, in my own place where I'm living and working. Uh, and uh, creative, the creative environment is one way to do that. So I'm very much 
a big believer that if you create the environment for creators and uh, for all people to express themselves, it creates a much more open and inclusive community. Uh, I was on the board of Midsummer for around five years before council, and through that time I saw you know, how we, you can drive real conversations that are otherwise very difficult um, through using the arts and cultural activities. Uh, so that's something that's really close to my heart. I'm I'm not as creative as I'd love to be. There are so many amazing creatives that we have, so I use uh, my skills to be able to support them and ensure that we can create the space and the room and the environment uh, for that open creativity to come through, essentially. So that's what I'm really excited about, is you know creating that space, and um, that's why I'm quite drawn to it. So creative... Uh, the creative portfolio was something that I was really excited about getting involved in, and I get involved in quite a lot of other things uh, as well, including, uh, as I think you might know, I'm chairing the Disability uh, Include Access um, Committee as well, Advisory Committee. So it's how do we create these safe spaces for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So you're really into the intersections of, of queerness, community, disability and health and well-being as well. I noticed that you're the deputy lead on council's health, well-being and, bo- and belonging portfolio. That's correct, yeah. And, and that really you know, interconnects with that community environment and uh, how do we engage with community. Uh, and of course, I, I work in health in my substantial role. So uh, through that, it's, it's when I was running for council, it's about how do we bring in that health uh, evidence-based voice on uh, our governing body, which is council for our local government, and make sure that we are considering those things, particularly in the environment that we're in with the pandemic that was happening and, you know, post-pandemic. This will continue to be part of our daily lives into the future. So really important to consider that. Um, so being part of that portfolio too uh, has been uh, really important um, and deliberative engagement uh, as part of that is something that I'm really passionate about. So how do we engage with our multiple communities and all the intersections, as you said, rightly, of our communities as well, because we all have different intersections to our lives uh, and uh, being able to hear those various voices and ensure that we are hearing from that wide range of our communities is really important in making decisions. So tell us about Council's priorities, the City of Melbourne's priorities in the health, wellbeing and belonging portfolio, considering, as you just said, COVID seems to be with us for the long haul. It does. It will be with us for uh, quite a while, I think. Uh, so our health, wellbeing and belonging uh, portfolio and our um priorities that are really important and, and you'll be able to see that through our uh, the consultation we did around our council plan which talks a lot about safety and well-being and, and most recently we um, approved our inclusive Melbourne strategy it was the first of its kind uh, for us the inclusive Melbourne strategy 2022-2032 that was approved on the 15th of February um, it's a really exciting a piece of work because uh, there was wide consultation around it and it is about uh, our safety and well-being within our council plan and it's going to create the framework for uh, pushing the boundaries around that cultural safety and how we can create an inclusive recovery. So that is uh, a really exciting piece of work that's happening there uh, as part of the portfolio and as part of our council plan as well. And of course, within 
um, the health well-being belonging. We have a lot of our um, facilities that are coming through, community facilities. We've got upgrades happening in Kensington. Uh, we've got upgrades uh, happening in uh, uh, the park as well for a couple of our sports facilities there. And uh, we know with uh, our uh, with, uh, with some of our um, community centres, uh, we're now back open and delivering those services, whether it's childcare, uh, maternal health, all the other services that we deliver through there are back, and um, that's uh, really, really important. So it's ensuring that those services are fit for purpose in the new environment as well. But investment through our new um, sports facilities is going to be really critical in this environment. We know that people want to come back to community activities and community spaces, and they're going to provide that environment for them to do so. So tell us about the uh, Disability Advisory Committee that you chair. It's a really, uh, thank you, that's a good question. It's a, I've always loved to talk about our Disability Advisory Committee. Uh, it's a committee made up of uh, people with uh, different disabilities, and um, they uh, work with us on, and I'm actually a co-chair, well, I'm, and we're moving towards a co-chair model with this uh, committee. When I came on board last year, uh, one of the things we spoke with members about is how do we uh, support them and how do we ensure that decisions and, and information or the way we guide the advisory committee is led by the members. Uh, and uh, so I'll be co-chairing it with uh, a member and we're going through that process at the moment. Uh, to uh, put a co-chair on board. It's also about uh, increasing uh, skills and um, within the community. But the Disability Advisory Committee uh, looks at some of the major uh, items that we're working on and initiatives we're working on at Council and provides an advisory uh, on those items. Of course, we also do consult widely on everything that we do. Uh, whether that's through Participate Melbourne, whether that's through individual workshops, whether that's with community organisations, and always also look at ensuring that there are voices across the spectrum from the intersectionalities that make up our community. So um, it's one other way that we uh, look at particular programmes uh, to provide feedback is through the advisor, this advisory committee around um, accessibility issues. Uh, and, you know, I'd love to be, you know, one of the things that the committee has told me is they want to see Melbourne as one of the world's premier disability tourist destinations. And I think that's a really fantastic thing to aim for. And, and that's what we're working towards. Fantastic. Now, of course, you got elected to the city of Melbourne in 2020. Tell us the backstory to how you ended up in politics. <laughs> You know, actually, James, I never wanted to be in politics. I, I grew up in Canberra, and I said, I am never going to be in politics. I'm leaving Canberra, and I moved to Melbourne. Um, many would say there's lots of reasons to leave Canberra, but uh, that was my reason to leave Canberra. Yet here I am. And uh, it was really during the pandemic, I guess, sitting there watching as the issues that happened around the towers uh, as, as one issue, which... I thought particularly with that, if you have a person of colour uh, in decision-making bodies, in rep representatives in government, uh, those sort of decisions wouldn't be taken lightly and there would be the repercussions and the ways that you would support communities of colour would be considered. So that was one uh, really big uh, player in me putting my hand up and going, 
well, uh, if there aren't people who look like me, who aren't represented, uh, and particularly as a queer person of colour, then uh, I'm going to put my hand up and um, put my voice out there uh, to ensure that I'm creating that voice. Um, secondly, of course, also living in the city, living in Docklands, and uh, knowing how the impact of the pandemic has had on the way that we're able to engage with communities um, and not having the same sort of spaces uh, as uh, you would have in the country, for example, or in uh, outer uh, suburbs in Melbourne. Uh, but it's really important for us to design and build a city that is as considerate of everyone's circumstances of the way that we live now in a modern city and is a bit more inclusive. So that, that having that green space, we know that from a mental health perspective now, you know, that green space has been a saviour for so many people. I know I've learnt all the green spaces in Docklands and, and around the city, uh, but we need more of them and we need them to be set up in a way that allows us to use those spaces. Uh, so I'm really excited that we, that's work we are doing for the city of Melbourne and we're looking at pocket parks and we're looking at uh, other park situations as well in South Bank, for example, which is really exciting. Um, and, so, Jamal, it was, finally, the, um, yeah. it was the draconian lockdown in North Melbourne of the, of the public housing towers. That was the catalyst for you wanting to get involved in politics? That was probably the, the, the thing that, you know, pushed me over the line. Um, I'm doing excited, but it's, you know, you, that would not happen if you've got uh, someone on the decision-making body that is a person of colour like you, that would just never happen. When, if you've got someone there who understands what police presence means, who understands uh, that there is uh, how language barriers uh, uh, have an effect, how uh, food and, and the way that uh, that all these things intersect, um, then, uh, so that would have, that's the final catalyst, I think, the, the straw that uh, broke the camel's back, if you like, um, definitely. So something that was quite passionate about is racism, and I talk about that uh, quite a lot as well. So having you on on the city of Melbourne as a councillor is a is a great kind of you know statement and an active statement uh, for council combating racism and doing more than just you know talking about it, taking proactive measures to to address it. Definitely, uh, and I think it's a show from community around uh, wanting to have that. Representation. You'll see our council has changed uh, with representation of um, residents and and how the makeup of uh, council is uh, this term. Um, and it's a very collaborative council. It's a council that is very professional and it's made up of uh, really strong voices for community. Which uh, and and that's a testament to that. And I think that's definitely what people want. People want that representation now. When we uh, sat down with people around the council plan, uh, it was really clear around the things that they think are important. So when that deliberative engagement comes through, when you do sit down with communities and you hear the voices, uh, that gives you the mandate to, to make decisions. And uh, our council plan for this term really does come from community mandate. And, and you can see there with you know, safety and well-being, access and affordability, talking about climate and biodiversity emergency. It's the first time this goal is in a council plan across the country. Aboriginal Melbourne, you know, and our identity and place and, and an inclusive economy, an economy of the future. And that's why we're calling it a city of possibilities. 
because we want to, we know that things are possible. We can make things possible to be different. We can be more inclusive and we can make it better. Uh, so we don't want to go back to how it was. We want to create a new city that is more inclusive, that is better, that is stronger for every member of our community. Councillor Jamal Hakim from the City of Melbourne, thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.